0: Okay, so just to get us all on the same page again, book of Romans.
1: Mm-hmm. Quick study of Romans.
0: <laughs> a, study, a study like this obviously is, um, I'm aware of the fact that everybody has a whole week of other activities and other focuses and then on a Sunday we try and uh, start from where we left off last time. Not the easiest thing for most of us, I'm I'm sure, okay? So, we are going to, we've done chapter 9, right? We have connected certain things, and we'll keep returning to chapter 9. Because chapter 9 is the outflow, or the the, uh, continuance of the thought pattern of Paul, that comes from chapter 8. And chapter 8 of Romans is where everything uh, in all the chapters comes together. It's the chapter that sums up the Gospel. So please be sure that you remember that chapter 8 in Romans sums up the Gospel. And what is the Gospel? The plan plan of God. The plan of God. Okay. So, then it flows into chapter 9. And uh, in chapter nineteen and eleven, um, Paul is now going to explain and sum up again what God's plan from the beginning of uh, time, or rather from Abraham, all the way through his um, interactions with the Israelites, the covenants, and so on. What it is, how it works. Okay, and, and this
1: obviously flowing out from the culmination in chapter eight.
0: From chapter 8. Now, what we're going to do is now we're going to um, link chapter 3, chapter 4, to what is said in chapter 9, 10, and 11. You'll see that it flows one into the other. So, chapter 3, chapter 4, that kind of links to chapter 9, 10, and 11. Then chapter 5, and especially chapter 6 and 7, uh, fits in there, but it is a picture of the salvation and the new covenant plan as part of chapter in the covenantal fulfillment. Okay, So that's how that fits together. Let's, um, so what we're going to do today is we're going back to chapter 3. But, before we do chapter 3 and 5, so please, please, form this picture in your head. Chapter 9 flows out of ch- chapter 8, and chapter 8 is the center, the core of the book of Romans. So it flows into chapter 9, 10, and 11, because that is how he now explains the work of God, the plan of God. Okay. Chapter 3, 4, um, they fit snugly into mm. chapter 9, but you have to have chapter 8 kind of in the middle.
2: Mm. The glue.
0: Yeah, so you can see chapter... 3 and 4 kind of linking in going through chapter 8 into chapter nineteen and 11. It helps to understand that's the way this works. Now I'm saying chapter 3, the end part of chapter 2 also actually fits in with chapter 3 and the rest of the thought pattern. Okay. Because obviously helps to remember understand when it
1: was written, it wasn't written in chapters.
0: So, okay. Yeah. So it was a, a recourse in the form of a letter, but... There's a verse, so we said that chapter 8 sums up the book of Romans. There's a verse, however, that sums up the whole book in one verse, sums up the gospel, basically. Do you want to read us the verse, please?
1: Yes, it's Romans chapter 11, verse 7. 7 11. Okay, uh, Romans chapter 11, verse 7 reads, What then? Israel has not obtained what it seeks, but the elect have obtained it, and the rest were blinded.
0: This your entire book of Romans <laughs> for you.
1: <laughs> like this contains chapters.
0: <laughs> whole book, whole complicated book of Romans summed up in one verse, one question, one answer. And a matter of fact, he just summed up the plan of God. From Abraham all the way through, and actually from Genesis to Revelation, he summed up the gospel. And it says, what then? So the reason he's saying, what then, is because he's just explained a whole lot of things. And he's saying, what then? What am I saying? What does this mean?
1: Hmm. What do we conclude?
0: What is the conclusion? And then he gives us the conclusion. What then? Israel has not obtained what it seeks. But the elect have obtained it, and the rest were blinded. So immediately, let's just look at what he just said. Immediately he's making it very clear, what then? After everything I've explained to you about the plan of God, what then? He's saying we now have two groups of people. We have one group that obtained something, we have another group of people that did not obtain something, and uh, all the rest of all the people that exist in all of the time, all the rest. It's very important. You have to listen to this. Very, very important. Okay? There are certain things that will be said that if we miss that one little thought, uh, we miss keys to unlocking the Bible for the next year, the next six months, Maybe the next 10 years. Okay. Has any of you missed key moments in the past? Has it happened to any of you that you realize when we say something again in six months time, you realize, wait a minute, he said that before, why didn't I hear it? (coughs) Why didn't I understand it then? I could have saved myself a year of asking questions. Has it happened to anybody? This is one of those moments, and it's on me. Paul is telling us, that in the, all the people that will live from the first of the days to the last of days, all generations, all tribes, all nations, all tongues, all this complexity, all of the complexity, Paul is giving us the eternal cosmic answer. He's saying, there's a group that obtains something, The rest missed it, and God blinded them. So there will be some after God blinded them that will never obtain it. Okay. So if we want to understand what the gospel is, we've got to keep this in mind. Now, let's see. Paul uses questions. He formulates questions. So remember that we... Uh, diligently taught everybody here to understand you have to formulate things. You have to identify something then formulate it so that you can communicate it. Okay, so if we want to understand, if we want to find answers, you have to formulate questions properly. If you cannot formulate the question, you will not, not find the answer. Make sense? Okay. Now, Paul uses questions throughout the book of Romans, to help the audience understand what he's communicating. Do you want to show us some of those questions?
1: Sure. Okay. So, in the beginning of chapter 11, uh, verse 1 and half of verse 2, I say then, has God cast away his people? Certainly not, for I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not cast away his people whom he foreknew. Should I write these down?
0: You write those questions on the board for us you there.
1: write those questions on the
0: board. So you might wonder why I wrote there, don't talk about yourself and don't make it about you. Okay, very um, arrogant of me, isn't it? <laughs> to write that on the board. The fact is we're going to see why that is so important. We've been, we've been teaching that for three years in various ways. Now, let's see but let's look at those questions, right? Okay. In there.
1: What about just this as God calls to his people. Okay.
0: You might say, well, what's that question got to do with us? We live in a time when thousands of people are responding, in some way, to that question. Historically, it has played a major role in not only how Christianity uh, developed, but also it played a major role in how politics developed, Mm -hmm. how the world scene developed. Because in some way, God has caused the Israelites and and the land of Israel be a focal point we know the huge role it played in the second world war why did the second world why was the second world war possible and why was it possible for Hitler how could it be possible for someone to go about killing a nation it came all the way from the beginnings of the Catholic Church it came from the time of the Romans, where the, where the Romans wanted to get rid of the origins of the Christian faith. Mm. They wanted to unroot it from its Hebraic origins. Mm. And so they continued to vilify the Hebrew people. And it continued all through the ages culminating in the Second World War. So this question, as God cast away His people, has actually been featuring as a major theme in world history, Mm -hmm. and it will continue to do so. Today, even today, um, if you look at the world allegiances, uh, worldwide, all major Um, nations and governments has to take a stance on where they stand regarding the Middle East question. The Palestinians versus the Israelites. It's, It's just a major factor. Has God cast away his people? Now, we also see another way this is, has actually been flooding the Western world. Because Christianity, the big, big, big Christian churches, many of them are saying, we have to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Heard that before? If you've ever watched TBN, you would have picked that up. Um, huge movement in the big Christian churches. To, they say, if you bless the Jews, then you'll be blessed still that idea right mm-hmm. okay so they are planting trees and sending money and doing all kinds of things and they're telling anybody that's ever watched TVN, they're always busy blessed, trying to bless Jerusalem because they think they'll be blessed okay so Paul asked question has God cast away his people next question
1: next question is obviously there are many questions so we're just pointing out a few now that's applicable to today chapter 9 verse 14 what shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God?
0: Wow, well, so another might. big, big question. <laughs> it is a question that humanity on some level is asking. All the time. The moment any of God's true people start walking in righteousness and adhering to God's ways, the world is going to say, that's unrighteous. And they'll, in effect, say, is God unrighteous? Is there unrighteousness with God?
1: Okay, next one, chapter 9, verse 21. Does not the potter have power over the clay from the same lump to make one vessel for honor and another for dishonor?
0: Mm. Does not the potter have power over the clay?
1: Does he
2: write Potter with a
0: capital letter? Sounds like it should be. <coughs> you know, it's quite important that it's not capital letter because he is painting a picture. He's not calling God Potter. No, I know. And the world has gone and started calling God Potter.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yes, but obviously he's referring. Yeah, someone, so. but it would
0: be a mistake to now put it in a capital letter because yes. now we're starting to give the name or the the, I, the idea of pottering. Imagine God. <laughs> Sitting
1: up there, I mean, wheel. Okay. So, so we see why it's
0: not a capital letter. Okay, let's continue. It's not important. It's okay. a side note.
1: Uh, okay. Okay, now this... The next part is not an explicit question, although he does ask questions. But this is leading us into today's teaching. So chapter 9 from the verse 30 to verse 32. <clears throat> what shall we say then? That Gentiles who do not pursue righteousness have attained to righteousness, even the righteousness of faith. But Israel, pursuing the law of righteousness, has not attained to the law of righteousness. Why? Because they did not seek it by faith, but as it were by the works of the law, for they stumbled at that stumbling stone.
0: Okay, so, go back to chapter 11, the summing up verse, verse 7. What then? Israel has not obtained what it seeks, but the elect have obtained it, and the rest were blinded. Okay. Now let's use this principle that Paul is using and let's start to unpack this. See if we can understand this complexity. Nadia. Hmm.
1: Chapter 11 verse
0: 7. Okay. It says, Israel has not obtained what it seeks. Okay. Elijah, I'm going to check if, you, if you're understanding this because I want to see what you're hearing. Okay. You're going to hear stuff that is different from anything you've heard before. Okay. So does it say, is this what it means? So Israel as a nation, he's, he's assuming that they're all seeking something. Is that right? Are so you are
1: asking me, not Elijah? No, you. Okay. <laughs> of the journal. Yes, Israel is seeking something.
0: What, are, <laughs> what is it that they're seeking? Can we identify it?
1: Yes, we just read it, the law of righteousness. So, chapter 9, verse 31. But Israel, pursuing the law of righteousness, has not attained to the law of righteousness. Israel has not obtained what it seeks. So, sorry, important, not righteousness, the law of righteousness.
0: Did everybody notice? It says Israel was seeking the law of righteousness. And then the elect obtained it. Okay. What does that mean? It
1: means the elect obtained the law of righteousness.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Now. If we're looking at the law of righteousness, then we have to start identifying what is a law of righteousness, isn't it? Does anybody know? Let's see. Elijah, what's the law of
2: righteousness?
0: His law. Okay. Good. But doesn't it um, doesn't it say that we are no longer under the law? Okay. Now Show us there's another reference to a law in this same thought pattern. Okay,
1: okay, okay. Let me explain this to you. So, so we see there's the law of righteousness, but just in the verse above that it (coughs) says that Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained to righteousness, even the righteousness of faith. Okay, then when we go back to the end of chapter 3 from verse 27, Paul writes, okay, uh, okay not ach, uh, <laughs> I just mean like we're going to decipher Paul. Okay, he starts off by saying, where is boasting then? Okay, now remember, we are linking this to chapter 19 and 11. So, obviously the question that he's asking here, he, is, he knows he's still going to answer, because he's not just answering the question now, the rest of the letter is going to answer all the questions that he asks throughout. So we see here in the 9 verse 30 to 32 and in the summary 11 verse 7 that Israel did not obtain the law of righteousness, although they sought it, yet the elect have obtained it through faith. Now he says, well, where is boasting then? It is excluded by what law of works? No, but by the law of faith. Okay, now we have another law. So we had the law of righteousness and now we have the law of faith. I just want to be clear, does everyone understand why, where is boasting then? Because if the Gentiles are going to obtain it by faith, then where is boasting in works? Okay, so he says it is excluded by the law of faith. So now we have the law of righteousness and the law of faith. But now we know that it says that that Israel were seeking after the law of righteousness. Now, as far as we know, as records show, the only law that was ever given to them, that they were only the only law they were ever seeking after was the law of Moses, the Sinai law. Which means that the law of righteousness, which we understand in its explanation, is the same as the law of Sinai. One law.
0: Okay, when you say it, it looks like a very easy um, uh, answer to arrive at. Think about it in this way. God goes through the dramatic process of giving them the law of Moses. Okay, there's the whole shaking of the mountain, there's the whole preparation of the people, sanctification and purifying. (coughs) Then God, God comes down, gives the tablets, uh, he has to give it again. It's a whole process. There's, and then they
1: lose it, then they find it. It's a
0: whole... There's all kinds of declarations that were with it. When does God come down and give them the law of faith? Where, where, where in the Bible do we see this huge event where God now gives them a law of faith? And when does He give us the law of righteousness? So it says that Israel was seeking the law of righteousness, now we can go, well obviously it must be the law. That's not that easy, you can't just answer it like that, we have to understand why. And if the Gentiles were not seeking the law of righteousness, how did they obtain it?
1: Because think about this, we just said, so The giving of the law is this big, huge deal. Israel seeks after it. They don't obtain it. And then the Gentiles who didn't seek after it, they just obtain it. Well, the elect.
0: Are we overcomplicating it? Mm -hmm. Because we don't arrive at easy answers that we cannot explain.
2: Mm
0: -hmm. Okay. Take us there.
1: Take
2: us (laughs) there.
1: Uh, Okay, well, that's actually a good way of putting it. Okay, so law of faith, law of righteousness. Is there a difference? Well, from here on out from this end of the chapter three, let's read the rest of it. He says, therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law, justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. Or is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also the God of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also. Since there is one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then make void the law through faith? Do we then make void the law through faith? Certainly not. On the contrary, we establish the law. So, law of faith, law of righteousness. And this says that the law of faith does not void the law. The law of faith does not make void the law of righteousness. It establishes the law of righteousness.
0: So how is this important to us? Because if you ask most questions, well, they say, well, we, we, we've been freed from the law. Someone actually asked that question this week. You want to,
2: you want
0: to yeah, uh, Someone said, why do you read the Old Testament so much? Cause, and what, did, wh- what was the guy's answer? How were we set free from the law? What did he say? And he asked
2: why we read the Old Testament. And then he said because by faith. Or by through
1: faith. So, that's why he doesn't read the Old
2: Testament.
0: So, yeah. so, the answer, the way that the world uh, church has been taught is, well, we sit free from the, from the law because we just have to believe in Jesus. Okay, so that's not incorrect, but the Bible talks about that the Gentiles attained to the law of righteousness. So there's a law of righteousness, there's a law of of faith, and it's applicable to us under the New Covenant. And yet, now we see that the law of righteousness and the law of faith has to be the same law. has to be the same law. It has to be the law of Moses. Is this important to understand? It's extremely important to understand. If we are not going to be uh, the crowd that is called the the lawless. Okay, so the Lord says he didn't know them because they're lawless. Try and find a Christian for me that understands that they're under the law of faith and the law of righteousness and the law of the spirit of life in Messiah. Find one for me. Won't find them because they have no law. Do we understand that Christians have no law? Nine out of ten, no law. Lawless. And they think that's freedom, they think that's faith, and they think that is salvation, lawlessness. They think that's grace. They think that's grace. So now, grace has actually become lawlessness. And lawlessness are called grace. While it very clearly says that the... Uncircumcised, the Gentiles, the Gentiles, attained the law of righteousness. And that faith does not make void the law, but establishes the law. So now, do you know why they didn't want to deal with this truth? Because it's complicated. So It's easier just to go like, well, I don't have to complicate it, I'll believe like a child. Okay, no.
1: I just want to write this down so I so we can explain (coughs) the sort of equation about how this works. So Israel did not obtain I'm just gonna write law, you all know what I mean. Uh elect obtained it. Okay. Uh faith, no, the law of faith establishes, okay,
2: establishes law of
0: righteousness. Okay, now this gives us a starting point, because today we're going to have to have a look at how does this whole thing work with the olive tree, so that's where we're taking you.
1: We're going to chapter 11.
0: (laughs) Okay. So we're looking at the olive tree, and I mean, what a complex picture he's painting. Some branches were broken off so that other branches can be crafted in. Now...
1: Can I just... Yes. Explain this so it can be done.
0: Yes, yes. Okay,
1: so... Israel did not obtain the law of righteousness, the elect have obtained it, and the law of faith establishes the law of righteousness. So, we know that the elect Obviously, it says that faith imputes righteousness, so the elect, revelation of faith, respond, come into Messiah. Righteousness is imputed to them, but it's not their righteousness, it's the righteousness in Messiah, in whom the law is fulfilled and established. And so the law of faith, coming into the law of faith, establishes the law of righteousness, and so the elect obtain the law of righteousness without having to go through the works.
0: Okay, we understand that part. Now,
1: just I
0: think make it that clear. Helps. So now we, we, we're looking at this, because we, we have to look at the question. When we're dealing with Gentiles, Jews, Israelites, we have to deal with the question into the future, what is the story? Is God going to save all the Jews? Is there a time when the number of the Gentiles is coming and then he just sovereignly saves? Do you understand that there's millions of people that believe that's what's going to happen? He's just going to save all of them. Okay. The other question that Paul is posing is, has God cast away his people? Has God cast away his people? How do we relate to all of this? Okay, Because we are in the process of getting rid of our false Christian origin with the false Christian ideas, because that was just in isolation somewhere, not connected to the, to the truths of the past or the future, just isolation, right? Now if, the, if it says very clearly the Israelites has not obtained what they were seeking, they were seeking something they didn't get it. Did it say that clearly? They didn't find it. OK. Then what does it mean? What does it mean? How do we relate to them? How does it relate to us? Okay, so Israel did not obtain the law of righteousness, but the elect did. And God gave the rest a spirit of stupor. Now we're dealing with this because this is what the book of Romans is dealing with. And then... How how does salvation work then for us and for them? Because there's many ways that people think salvation works. Justification. How does it work? Let's have a look.
1: Okay, so. Faith establishes the law. Now, just in the verse above that. Well, we can read 29 as well because it's one sentence. Verse 29, verse 30 of chapter 3. Or is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also the God of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also. Since there is one God who will justify the circumcised by faith, and the uncircumcised through faith. Now quick note, okay, by faith, through faith. Has anyone ever noticed that it's two different words? Has anyone ever wondered about what is the difference between by faith and through faith? Does this mean that there's a different salvation for Jews than there is for Gentiles?
0: Let's quickly see, what, what are we thinking? Could it,
1: could it mean that? We're not saying it does or it doesn't. Could it mean that? Could this allude to the fact that there's two different, because the one is by faith and the other through faith? Is there a different process for salvation? Is it possible that the different... I mean, it's the same because early by faith or through faith, but they went. were supposed to go through the law, and the law was supposed to produce in their heart the early... Loyalty to the Lord's law and His His uh, commandments and His, and that they should live for Him and that would produce in their hearts faith. Eventually, that's why it's saying by faith and we are given faith as a gift and that's true faith. So we kind of arrive without. Work, having worked for it by grace, we just arrived at the destination that they were meant to arrive through that law that was given to them. Does that make... Does it sound...
0: Like... We'll see. Okay. Let's go to the... Uh, breaking it, off from the grafting and yeah, read that. Exp- read that and then we'll okay. explain it.
1: Okay, okay, okay. Chapter 11... Okay, I'm not, I'm not going to read, should I read from the, from 1111, or should I just read from there? Because we just want to focus, okay, we just, there's obviously context, but we want to focus on the point. So, from verse 15, chapter 11, from verse 15. (coughs) For if they now obviously he's referring to his relatives in the flesh, for if they being cast away is the reconciling of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? For if the first fruit is holy, the lump is also holy. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. And if some of the branches were broken off, and you, being a wild olive tree, were grafted in among them, and with them became a partaker of the root and fatness of the olive tree, do not boast against the branches. But if you do boast, remember that you do not support the root, but the root supports you. You will say then, branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. Well said. Because of unbelief, they were broken off, and you stand by faith. Do not be haughty, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he he may not spare you either. Therefore consider the goodness and severity of God. On those who fell, severity, but toward you, goodness, if you continue in his goodness. Otherwise, you also will be cut off. And they also, if they do not continue in unbelief, will be grafted in. For God is able to graft them in again. For if you were cut out of the olive tree which is wild by nature and were grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, who are natural branches, be grafted into their own olive tree?
0: Does anybody have questions? It's easy, isn't it?
1: Easy peasy.
0: He just explained it in such a simple way that anybody can understand it. It doesn't matter where they are in the world.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's
0: simple. There was a tree, right? And then that's it. That's salvation. Okay, so now we have a wild olive tree and a cultivated olive tree. Why cultivated? Why is he calling the olive tree cultivated? Why? Who can guess? It's easy. Okay. So the wild olive tree and the cultivated olive tree gives us another picture of how he's going to work. So how did he cultivate this olive tree? From the days of... Yes. But how? So it has to start at Abraham because they didn't become an olive tree in the wilderness, did they? Okay, so how does it work? That's just to fill in the... we start to fill in the picture. So there was a, a tree planted that was to grow up. Okay, the olive tree. The root. The root. We're going to get to the root <laughs> and the stump and all just of that. Okay.
1: Laying the layers.
0: So, the cultivation would have been though we're, t- we're to grow up in the knowledge of God in the ways of God okay, just like the original garden was planted by God in order it was cultivated, it wasn't a wild place why is the place outside the garden called the wilderness? there's a difference, right? the place where God's order is placed, these presences, that's cultivated, it's called the garden the place outside is called the wilderness and then they sinned. And we did do that last week. Exponentially, they started losing the knowledge of God. Each generation. Lost more and more and more of God, and uh, what replaced the knowledge of God? Knowledge of self. Wildness. Okay. Wildness. Now, we've got to think, okay, if he's talking about crafted into an olive tree that is cultivated, where does this olive tree originate? Where does the idea come from? Because he's now using it as a real idea. We get a glimpse of God's eternal plan being the same in the story of Noah. What is the dove going to bring back to Noah? Is it coincidence that it is a little bronze of an olive tree? Do you see the significance of this message that God is sending to Noah? If in the days of Paul, he's going to minister to the last generations, that we are an olive tree cultivated by God, and that we are connected to the root, right? according to the prophecies all through, then he's sending Noah this little message, an uh, olive twig, a branch in the, it must have been a twig really, in the mouth of, a, of, the, of the dove, foreshadowing the finished work of Messiah, the body, the household of God, the redeemed, the redeemed, the olive tree. Yeah. They're, not, they're not nation yet, they're not. Jews yet they're not Israel yet yet the truth of the olive tree is going to be there okay so <clears throat> now later on we're going to see two branches of the olive tree dripping oil into the, the reciprocal of the menorah right
1: the way that is in okay can I just yeah go around? okay cultivated olive tree wild olive tree both olive trees Not a cultivated olive tree and some other bushy tree. Olive tree. Okay. Then in Zechariah, then I answered and said to him, what are these two olive trees at the right of the lampstand and at its left? And I further answered and said to him, what are these two olive branches that drip into the receptacles of the two gold pipes from which the golden oil drains? Then he answered me and said, do you not know what these are? And I said, no, my Lord. So he said, these are the two anointed ones who stand beside the Lord of the whole earth. Noah, who receives the olive twig, the olive branch, is going to have three sons. One is going to be Ham, who is the cursed bloodline. And then we have Shem, who becomes Abraham, who becomes the Israelites. And the other is Japheth, who becomes the Gentiles, who will be grafted in to the cultivated olive.
0: This picture that Paul is painting, (laughs) this is again a a summing up of the entire gospel, the plan of God. The plan of God, this is the beauty. This is the thing that God is ministering through His Spirit more than anything else. That His plan has remained the same. And that He is so mighty that He literally sovereignly has made sure that his plan is unfolding the way that he planned it. In a little scene, in the big story of Noah, he's just putting this, it's like, it's like the things they put into <laughs> mystery movies, just this, this thing. And he does it on this grand scale of time. So, do you see the significance? It's not two different trees, it's both olive trees. The one has been cultivated by the law, through the law. The other one through the
2: not. Knowledge of God.
0: The one is Shem. The a group of people to whom God will give his name and reveal his name. Okay, only God could write this story. Hmm. No. yes.
1: Do the
0: anointing will. Okay, we'll, we'll go there. there.
1: That,
0: that's right. <laughs> so he's going to give his name to this one bloodline. So it gives you an idea that this bloodline is now going to be cultivated. This tree is going to be cultivated. Okay, what is cultivation? <coughs> we do see later on this picture unfolding through the Bible. God is going to cultivate by pruning, by causing it to bear fruit.
2: Uh, uh, we, we are from the Gentile
0: line. We are from the Gentile line okay it 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 does matter, and then if well, by the time that we finished with this teaching, it won't matter anymore, but we have to start there. We have to start at a place where it still matters. Mm-hmm. We are Gentiles, and then there is Jews, but in the end of this teaching, mm. it won't matter anymore, but anyway, so now we, we're going to just tarry on this, not actually part of the teaching, it's, it's just, just how beautiful it is. okay, so now, if the olive tree is going to represent the bride, the body of Messiah in the end of the day. With other words, his perfect work, his perfect cultivation. So he's, he's perfecting for himself a bride. He's building living stones into a temple that will become his dwelling place in the spirit. This he's going to picture throughout the biblical story as the olive tree. <clears throat> So when King David is anointed what does the anointing oil represent? What gives him authority from God? What is the thing that's going to set him apart in separation as uh, the figure of representing Messiah, representing the kingdom? He's going to anoint him out of the glory cloud out of the Redemption of the body that's represented by the olive tree. So how big is that anointing?
1: The anointing oil.
0: The anointing oil.
1: Which would start with olive oil, even <coughs> if they would add to it. The base would be olive oil.
0: Okay. So it's not just a traditional thing He's going to receive oil on his head.
1: Let's slap some oil on you. <laughs> Specific oil.
0: Okay, so this is a picture of, he can only be blessed and have authority if he's representing the finished body of Messiah, which is Messiah. That's the anointing. It's huge. It's huge. Now we have the oil of the olive tree burning in the menorah, representing the Holy Spirit himself. Okay, so see why Paul had to use this particular picture. Paul is, in the book of Romans, he is literally going to establish through his writings the truth of God's work on earth, his plan. He's going to explain it and establish it. And he has to do it in a certain way. It culminates, it culminates in the picture of the olive tree.
1: If he didn't write olive tree and olive tree and cultivated olive tree and wild olive tree, all the olive tree prophecies from before would not have this kind of weight or significance.
0: So did it become the final truth when Paul wrote it or when they prophesied it? (laughs) We just don't know. Because they could only prophesy it if Paul establishes it
1: the body. And
0: Paul is quoting it and using it because the prophets prophesied it. It's beautiful. Okay, let's move on. Okay. Now, now, if the cultivation was through the law, then we get back to um, this question. Let's go back to the question that he's posing here in chapter 3 verse 1. So if the cultivation of the cultivated olive tree was the law, he says, what advantage then has the Jew, or what is the profit of, of circumcision? Much in every way, chiefly because to them were committed the oracles of God. Chiefly because to them was committed the oracles of God. So, okay, is it true then, that if the oracles of God was committed to the Jews, and it was a benefit and a profit, profit, like a, then should, then we get, to, we get to this question. Chapter 9, verse 6. He's asking the question Is, is the word of God then of no effect?
1: Because remember, we did this last week. Uh, he says, For I could wish that I were cursed from Messiah for my brethren. He says, The Israelites, who are Israelites, to whom pertain the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the service of God, and the promises. So this is now, what is the profit of circumcision? Much in every way, chiefly because to them were committed the oracles of God. And then he says, but it is not that the word of God has taken no effect. So the question is, if the oracles of God were committed to them, does that mean that the word of God has taken no effect? What is
0: the word of God supposed to do? Remember, what is it supposed to do? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So if the oracles of God were committed to them, then it means that the Word of God, the oracles of God that were spoken to them were supposed to produce what? Faith. Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So if it says, the Scripture says, faith comes by the hearing of the Word of God, then the moment that someone hears the Word of God, it was supposed to produce faith in them. Why didn't it happen? Why didn't it happen? Why did the Israelites that were seeking the law of righteousness not obtained to it and it gives us the answer because they did not seek it by faith but now if they received the word of God why didn't it produce faith in them and then the scripture says that God the one God one God will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith why is the wording different? What does it mean? What does it mean? Then it says that the Israelites fell. Now the question is, because the, the text looks like they did not, they did not fall... That God should totally reject him or whatever. But it also says, on those who fell, there would be severity. See why we have to look at this. It's our world understanding. It's our historic understanding of how does this Gentile and Jew thing work. So, he will justify the circumcised by faith, right? Okay? And the uncircumcised through faith. So is there now two ways of justification? We're gonna get there. What do you want to add? Yes.
1: Okay, so I wanna go there and then walk on yeah. this road.
2: Okay. Go so there so we can go get there.
1: there. Okay, yeah. okay, okay, quick, quick, quick. okay, <coughs> okay. The circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Okay. So what Anushka said earlier is not invalid. But as Monet just said Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And to the Israelites or the Jews were committed the oracles of God, the ways of God, the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the service of God, the promises. Okay, which means, and we know that the book of Galatians, big part of it, big chunk of it, is about how the law is the tutor to lead us to faith or to lead someone to faith. But, 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 but. What's important to understand now is that in that whole process, we don't have the law of God over here and then faith somewhere over there. And then they're going to keep the law and then someday come to faith over there. The law was given to them as their revelation of faith because in it, in the law, God would be revealed to them, his ways would be revealed to them, and Messiah would be revealed to them. So they were not going to keep the law and then someday in keeping the law one day do something and then oh supernatural revelation. The law itself had to be, was supposed to be their revelation. Now we understand that for <coughs> Gentiles who come to faith, God supernaturally gives revelation of the finished work, of Messiah, and then our response to faith imputes righteousness. Okay, which means that the circumcised were given the law, but it is the ways of God, the revelation of God, the revelation of Messiah, and by the law, so by faith, or yeah, by the law, they were supposed to come through to faith. The Gentiles, or the uncircumcised, Are given the revelation supernaturally by God but both are leading to faith so if you want to imagine two different roads not completely different but they arrive at the same door and the door is faith one door that you have to walk through okay which means that there's not a different salvation for Jews or a different salvation for Gentiles it might be different roads to get to faith, but the starting point is faith. Okay, now it says in chapter 10, verse 4, it says, For Messiah is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. For Messiah is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who who believes okay now if we think of the end of the law because I think generally when we read this we think oh okay so when Messiah believe in Messiah so now no more law but the wording is very specific and I, and, I, I went okay, <laughs> and I find it very very interesting because he says the end of the law so when do you get to the end of something you have to start at the beginning then walk your way through until you get to the end and it says that Messiah is the end of the law. Okay, you seeing this. So you start at the beginning of the law, walk your way through, through, through. In the end, when you're done, you should arrive at Messiah. Messiah is the end of the law because in him, the law is fulfilled. So it's the whole law from the beginning to the end fulfilled in him. Messiah is then the end, the fullness of the law to everyone who believes so now, and now again we're back to messiah which brings us back to faith because faith is the substance of things hoped for the evidence of things not seen but we understand it is a revelation god showing you the finished work the resurrection messiah messiah is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes
0: okay now let's go to chapter 2 verse 25. Let's look at that That thing that he says Circumcision and uncircumcision So we have now seen That what it means is that For the uncircumcised He justifies them through faith We're going back to Hebrews chapter 11 Where faith Now we're going to start linking it Where faith is defined And it's defined by Abraham and what happens with Abraham. Okay, faith is defined there. So whenever we hear faith, we go back to chapter 11 of Hebrews, and chapter 11 of Hebrews takes us all the way back to Abraham. When you hear faith, we hear, we have to hear the the faith of Abraham. Because this is what is discussed, we'll look at it next week more in depth. We'll look at it this week and then again next week, but... Faith, listen carefully, whenever we think faith, the world out there is thinking, well, faith in Jesus, undefined. Faith, that's it. What does it mean? Well, you have to believe in Jesus. What does it mean? In reality. The Bible doesn't work that way. God doesn't work that way. Faith is defined. It's the faith of Abraham. So we're going to define it today very clearly. Just like God boldly says, some has attained to it, others have not attained to it, and the rest were blinded. We're not going to tippy-toe around it. If somebody, the only, only acceptable standard of faith is someone that has the faith of Abraham. Because the Bible defines it as the faith of Abraham. Okay, now, Circumcision. Let's read this, 25, for circumcision is indeed profitable if you keep the law, but if you are a breaker of the law, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. Did the Bible just say that anybody that breaks the law, the the, the word says, listen carefully everybody, the Lord says that anybody that breaks one of the laws becomes a transgressor of All. all the law. Is that correct? Is that what the Bible says? And it says anybody that breaks the law, transgresses the law, has become uncircumcised. That has become a non issue, doesn't exist. There's no such thing. Since hmm? There's no such thing as a circumcised person. Yes. For the, for the explanation of God's process and plan, Paul is writing to what is, calls themselves the circumcised. But practically, if you look at it, practically if you look at it, from the moment that he dies on the cross, and the veil is torn, from that moment, or automatically have become uncircumcised. Why? (coughs) Excuse me. Why? Because nobody can keep the law. If you transgress one law, you've transgressed all the law. So now practically (coughs) So now practically, is there such a thing as the circumcised being justified by God by faith? Because there's no circumcised, is there? Everybody has become uncircumcised. Does it make sense? Could it be that there's a rabbi somewhere that are still circumcised today? Not necessarily referring to the
1: physical, obviously. Just remember, the Jews cannot keep all the law because there is no temple. So the Day of Atonement, they they can't, even if they wanted to.
0: What does this mean practically? Do do you understand this is, they have been debating this for generations. They are still debating the whole issue. It's a non-issue. 'Cause they're assuming they're still circumcision. There cannot be there cannot be a single circumcised person on earth according to the law. Because if you break the law you have become uncircumcised. So we get it. Do we get it? Okay now, if the the crowd that is saying if you blessed you, you'll be blessed Are they in error? Are they're they being doff. They're being tough. It's as easy as that. Okay. Now, let's just, in between, I'm going to go to that yeah. now. No? In between. The whole crowd is saying, if the word says we have to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Okay. Come on. Read your Bibles. It says in the book of Revelation that uh, <laughs> Jerusalem, in the, in, the, in, the, in the portion of scripture it talks about the two witnesses. Jerusalem that is now Babylon. The two witnesses are witnessing in the middle of the city. And of course all the Jews that have been saved are supporting them.
2: Mm.
0: Because remember the story is that all Jews will be saved. They're all there rallying behind them and going, we will witness with you. <laughs> No, the story, the two says, the story and the says everyone is trying to kill them. There's only two witnesses. The rest are trying to kill them. Okay, so now, if the scripture says pray for the peace of Jerusalem, and we are busy doing that, are we wasting our time? The story says it will not come. Jerusalem is Babylon. And there's two witnesses. The rest want to kill them. So what is the scripture about pray for the peace of Jerusalem? Jerusalem. It's, it's obvious. It's a no-brainer. It refers to the covenant of peace that is Messiah. He's the Prince of Peace. And when is the time of the peace of Jerusalem? When he's reigning for a thousand years in the dispensation of peace. So if we're going to look at that scripture and respond to it, what are we praying? For his return and his rule and reign on earth. Before that time, it's absolutely a waste of time and it is an evidence of not understanding the plan of God. Okay, so just a comment on those kind of things. Now, is there any, any honor, any stature, any positioning for any Jew or the groups, a group called Israel in Israel right now that makes them in God's eyes, in relation to God, any different than anybody else on earth. They have all become uncircumcised. So are they Jews? Is there still such a thing as a God, the the Jacob Jew? Is there still such such a thing on earth? No. So they have been restored, they have returned to their country, they still call it Israel. Let me tell you now, on record, If we apply what the scripture says, there is no more Jew. Israel ceased to be Israel. Besides the point that God divorced them, what happens? Did 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 they continue to, to keep His name? He also took everything that is given to to them, away from them. They're not allowed to use the name anymore. Are they using the name? So, it starts with Shem. He's going to give them his name. He's even going to put his name in their names. Abraham. Okay? Do we see see the big picture? So, why is this important? In reading the book of Romans, you will see that a major theme is circumcision, uncircumcision. Jews and Gentiles. It's a major theme and it can easily confuse people because most people that read it ends up with the question, does this mean that God's just going to save all the Jews? Do we understand that in our time as we're standing here, there's no such thing? There's a culture called Israel, and there's a culture group called Jews. But biblically, no more. No more. Okay, now back to the olive tree. Now Let's do this first. Okay, now, now think about this. It says, let's read it again. Chapter 2, verse 25. For circumcision is indeed profitable if you keep the law. But if you are breaker of the law, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. Therefore, if an uncircumcised man keeps the righteous requirements of the law, will not his uncircumcision be counted as circumcision? How many people are just going to skip that one? If an uncircumcised man keeps the righteous requirements of the law, then his uncircumcision has become circumcision. Now, how the heck are anybody supposed to keep the righteousness of the law and become circumcised in his heart? Okay, How many years of study will it take an uncircumcised man to even begin to keep the righteousness of the law? Then the question is now, what is he talking about? Because now he's saying it's possible for the uncircumcised, just like it's possible for the circumcised to become uncircumcised, it's possible for the uncircumcised to become circumcised by keeping the righteousness of the law. What is that? What is that? Passover. Passover. How does a Gentile of other nations not being educated or cultivated through the law, come to a place where he's keeping the righteousness of the law? You might say, "How did we arrive at Passover?" Do you want to explain it quickly? Yes: Can I go read for this it. Yes, again? yes.:
1: For Messiah is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes.
0: So Messiah is the end of the law for righteousness who believes. Okay, the righteousness of the law. Where does the righteousness of the law start? Where is the origin of it? Right there, Passover. Explain it, please.
1: Please explain it. Okay, so
0: it's pretty simple. Okay, the righteousness of the law. What's going to happen? Judgment. Okay, so righteousness only becomes relevant if there's judgment. Because it clearly states that nobody will be righteous by, by good works or by the works of the law. Nobody will be righteous by the works of the law. So, <clears throat> righteousness becomes relevant when there's judgment. And if we are judged according to our good or our bad works, our good or our evil works or unrighteous works, then judgment is a non-issue because we all judged. Just as they have all become uncircumcised. No matter how you look at God's ways and God's standard, it is a clean sweep. All have become, un- become unprofitable in the sight of God. All have fallen short of the glory of God. So you can look at it from any angle, it's a clean sweep. No matter where you were born and what language you speak, it's a clean sweep. Okay, do we agree on that? No, it says that an uncircumcised man can become circumcised by keeping the righteousness of the law. It starts there. There's going to be judgment. And in the night, the angel of God is going to move over the land of Egypt and he is going to kill every firstborn of every family. But, if they put the blood on the doorpost and stay inside the house, Not go outside and eat the whole lamb. They'll be safe. So what is the righteousness of the law? He says it justifies the uncircumcised through faith. What's faith? Back at chapter 11. Okay. Of Hebrews. Okay, so what is it? He has to reveal to you the atonement of the Lamb, in some way. He has to reveal to you the resurrection, with other words, eternal life there. We perceive it in different ways, but it boils down to New Jerusalem, resurrection. He has to reveal to you that there is a way to continue living and survive the judgment of God and that the Way is the Lamb of God, the Messiah. It's, it's Passover. Simple as that.
1: I mean, it obviously, storyline <coughs> culminates in Yahushua, and then culminates in baptism.
0: Okay. So, Passover is baptism. How did we arrive at that? Stay in the house. Put the blood on the doorposts.
1: Eat the whole lamb.
0: Eat the whole lamb. Okay. So now let's build it from there. Now we're going to read through the text. Can we do that now? Because we need to get to Abraham.
1: Should be in with
0: Abraham. Okay. What do you want to do? I'm thinking, do I'm thinking. We've got a million things we can do. Actually, this oh, is a big on, study.
1: Um, I'm thinking we should do this and finish this part. Yes, yes, please do it.
0: that. Okay, that was actually very interesting. Okay. So she's t- going, t- she's t- going t- t- to explain to us the lump and the root and the stump and all of that. Anybody oh, want oh, to hear that? Okay.
1: okay. Right. Okay. <coughs> <laughs> okay, so we're back in chapter 11. And we're going to read from verse 16.
2: Mm.
1: Okay, I'm going to have to, there's a lot I want to say Okay, so it starts with, for if the first fruit is holy Now, before we unpack the verse, I'd like to do a quick explanation of first fruit Because when we started this season, uh, one of our first teachings was from 1 Corinthians chapter 15 And it says that the Messiah has become the first fruits Okay, and then we realized that maybe not everyone is clear on the significance of first fruits or first fruit, what it means. So, we're going to do a quick explanation. Um, so, before I go into the actual grain offering side of it, which I won't make very long, I want to explain it in this way because this is a very nice way. Uh, I think it's in Leviticus 19 or somewhere. It explains that if an Israelite is going to plant a fruit tree, Then, the first year, it grows and it bears fruit. They are not to touch the fruit. They are supposed to wait so that the fruit can fall to the ground. Now obviously, God isn't explaining all of the significance and the biology of all of this to them. But so the fruit falls to the ground and it fertilizes the ground and the roots and puts all the bacteria and everything that the tree needs to grow, puts back into the ground. So they're not supposed to touch the fruit. The fruit is supposed to fall from the tree to the ground and fertilize the ground. Second year, same thing, not allowed to touch the fruit. The fruit is to fall from the tree to the ground, fertilize the ground. Third year, same thing, fruit grows, falls to the ground, fertilize the ground. The fourth year, they can harvest the fruit, but the fruit is not for them. This fruit they are supposed to take to the priests, to the Levites, and offer it as a first fruit offering to the Lord. So the first harvest belongs to God. And then the fifth year, they are allowed to enjoy the harvest. Okay, so this is rather significant. So three years waiting period, they're not allowed to touch. They're not allowed to indulge. They're not allowed to have. Okay, this is where the fruit and the tree is going to grow and strengthen itself. Okay?
0: What is the fruit? Why aren't they to touch it? Huh? The
1: unclean thing. The white white thing? <laughs>
0: <laughs> You're too far away. <laughs> so, so it's important that you look at the. Is it clean
2: or unclean?
1: Oh, yes. Okay. So, yes, because it says in the passage where it's written, it says that they're not allowed to eat the fruit because the fruit is unclean in the first three years. It actually says the fruit is uncircumcised. They're not allowed to eat the uncircumcised fruit, which is weird, because how can a fruit be circumcised?
0: So, so listen, it's, it's, God says do not, do not eat the fruit for the first three years. It's not just, it's good advice, it is uncircumcised, it is unclean. If you eat, listen carefully, if you eat the fruit of your fruit tree in the first year, you become unclean.
1: Yes, this is in Leviticus 19 from verse 23 to 25. Three verses. When you come into the land and have planted all kinds of trees for food, then you shall count their fruit as uncircumcised. Three years it shall be as uncircumcised to you. It shall not be eaten. But in the fourth year, all its fruit shall be holy, separated, a praise to the Lord. And in the fifth year, you may eat its fruit, that it may yield to you its increase. I am the Lord your God. Okay. That
0: it may yield to you its increase. This is significant.
1: This is significant. So, just quickly, because this is a nice place to interject it. So, if we look at a believer's life, right, usually, and you can think about this, you can check this out. Usually, there's a three-year period in the Lord calling you, before salvation, an awakening of some sorts, or a com- complete removal of God, so that when faith comes, you are ready. So God is going to, for three years, prepare believer in some way for the revelation of faith, usually a three-year period. So there is some sort of fruit, but the fruit is just supposed to fall the, to the ground and fertilize the tree. It's not going to do anything, it's not being consumed, it's just Pre- preparation for the, for the tree to start bearing fruit. Then the first year the tree bears fruit. The fruit is to be harvested but it is holy to the Lord. Separated to the Lord. It belongs to God. So this is what we have defined as the grace period. So a believer comes to faith and then usually the time can vary. But there's a first season where it seems to the believer that everything is just... Lovely and easy and the voice of the Lord can be heard and there is blessing in abundance and understanding and wisdom is coming from the word and things are My mother described my grace period as me running through a hillside with flowers It's that kind of vibe that we get and most of us would have experienced that so it's the fruit then but it's going to the Lord and this is a very important period because we see that often Believers, because, they, because we have not implemented this principle into our lives, believers often make the mistake of when in that first season they start bearing fruit, they do not give all of the fruit back to the Lord. They start eating some of the fruit themselves. Okay, so we see that dynamic sometimes happening. And because you're eating the fruit that was supposed to go to God, we now see in the next year usually some difficulty starts and overcoming starts. Whereas if all the fruit had gone to the Lord in the first year, then the next year the fruit you can now start eating from your own fruit. But if in the the fourth year where you where the, the fruit, the harvest was supposed to be holy unto the Lord, you take some for yourself. Now obviously the fruit that you're going to bear might be something like selfishness because you took something that belonged to the Lord. This can now manifest in different ways. So I just wanted to put that Dynamic in there because it's interesting and great, and now we can move on unless anything else has to be said.
0: This is a side note that's very important when it comes to it because uh, we want to che- we want to check that. And when if we're going to help disciple people in the uh, people in the future, we also want to be aware of this dynamic. Um, people with the circumcised heart tend to just understand they have to give the fruit to the Lord. But the moment we eat it ourselves, we get in trouble. Okay. Um, and then it will heal its abundance. What is which the is great. Of the People that anything good understand that it's, it's given by him. So they, they, they see the fruit, they see the outworking of faith, but it's given back to him in worship, in thanksgiving.
1: In, in serving the body in any way, yeah. that kind of thing.
0: So, but then what happens often is um, in the first year, because in the first year there's fruit, so all of a sudden the giftings can work, the understanding is high, the wisdom is just graceful. a lot of things, and then the person in its first year of fruit-bearing wants to start prophesying and become a prophet, and that's eating the fruit. And then exponentially there's, there's, there's going to be problems. It's not unredeemable, obviously, mm. But then there's a there's a process of pruning back that happens for that person before they can start understanding to bear proper fruit again, so that happens okay, now
1: back to the text, yes okay, so verse sixteen, for if the first fruit is holy, the lump is also holy, and if the root is holy, so are the branches. Now, I don't know about you guys, but usually when I read this verse, I can understand the first fruit and the root and the branches, that kind of makes it what what is the lump? What is he talking about? What is the lump? So, I did research and the lump is dough, but the actual translation is that which is mixed together. And it's because the first fruit here is referring specifically to if they planted a harvest of grain, any kind of grain, then the first harvest or crop it would yield they would bring a portion of that to the priest and the priest would offer a portion of that to the lord so only a portion of the portion was separated to the lord okay but now we see we saw that in 1 corinthians chapter 15 it says but now messiah is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep now we did say here that it was significant that it's in um What? Plural plural form, but for this, what we're going to lift out now, it's not significant. Okay, so it says, if the first fruit is holy, the lump, that which is mixed together, the dough that comes from the grain, that is also holy. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. Now, we know that Messiah is the first fruit. So that which is mixed together which comes from the first fruit offering that which comes from the grain offering that which comes from messiah that which is mixed together is also now holy because it comes from the first fruit and there it says if the root is holy so are the branches and now that part makes a bit more sense because we understand that yahushua then later or before this says I'm the vine, if you abide in me, the branches, all of that. But now, okay, let me just continue and then I'll take us there. So now it says, and if some of the branches were broken off, and you being a wild olive tree were grafted in among them, and now it's going to go into the grafting in thing.
0: Can we just ask the question, if it says if some of the branches were broken off, Sometimes when reading this, people can come to the conclusion it means not all the branches were broken off. Can we explain that quickly? Okay, so, is it possible that after the death of Yahushua, that there could still be branches left on the cultivated olive tree? Possible. Think about what I'm asking. After the moment that he dies... The cultivated olive tree is uh, the entire work of God with the bloodline of Shem. That's the olive tree. It will culminate in the entire body being grafted in. Now, when he dies, at that moment, the olive tree would have only been Israel. Is Is it possible that after his death, any of the branches were not broken off? A living people, is there a living person that are not broken off? What do you say, Elijah? What do you think? No, no. couldn't be possible because all have become uncircumcised.
2: Yeah,
0: so picture the olive tree before there's branches that so when the branches are broken off. King David and Moses are going to remain. They can't be broken off, right? Because they came to righteousness by the
1: law of faith. By faith. Yeah.
0: Okay. So they were justified by faith, by God. So this, is
1: into Messiah. They can't be broken off.
0: So this scripture pertains to them, the circumcision, by faith, right? Now, they remain. They're not broken in. That's why it says some of the branches. Make sense? But after Messiah, anyone that lives beyond that, that is of Jewish descent, broken off.
1: Because all have become uncircumcised.
0: Now, wild olive tree, over there. If you want to be grafted into the cultivated olive tree, what has to happen? Broken off. Is there a possibility that you can not be broken off but also be part of salvation? If you're wild olive tree. You have to be broken off, right? Okay. It's very important that we understand what salvation, what faith, what belief is. It's becoming very defined. We have to find it, we have to define it to the to the to the I don't know what you call it. We have to define it.
1: Okay, but so (coughs) <coughs> mm-hmm. Okay, so just to explain so not not all of this but just the, the flow of things so the root if the root is holy, so are the branches if the first root is holy, the lump is also holy now obviously we understand that the first root the root is Messiah we understand that when all the work is done the entire tree is messiah okay but it starts from him because we have done this teaching many times when adam was formed he had to be made in the image and the likeness of someone and that someone is messiah okay so it starts with messiah then From this root, we know that God then gives his name, gives his ways to the bloodline of Shem. So now from the root, branches will grow because they cannot grow from the root. And now we see um, men like Moses and King David who come to faith and they bear fruit, the fruit of faith, the fruit of righteousness on this tree part of the root. But then we see that some of the branches were broken off. And we understand that this happens with the death and resurrection of Yahushua, the big event, um, because now all have become uncircumcised. This means that from that moment in time, they will not again grow a branch from the sting. Any branch that will now become a part of the tree has to be grafted in, Gentile and Jew alike. Okay, so let's just read this, let's read through it. Okay, for if the first fruit is holy, the lump is also holy, and if the root is holy, so are the branches. Once again, if we are part of Messiah, then we are also separated into him, separated unto the Lord as he is. Okay, so that's the holy part. And if some of the branches were broken off, and you being a wild olive tree were grafted in among them, and with them became a partaker of the root partaker of Messiah of the root and fatness of the olive tree do not boast against the branches but if you do boast remember that you do not support the root but the root supports you so it's not because of our good works that we are separated unto the Lord is because we are in Messiah okay you will say then branches were broken off that I might be grafted in well said because of unbelief they were broken off and you stand by faith unbelief is defined In chapter 4 of Hebrews, it says, Because of an evil heart of unbelief, they departed from the ways of God. And then we see it goes into the whole chapter of rest rest referring to the finished work of God. Unbelief, they're broken off and you stand by faith. And we just read here that Messiah is the end of the lawful righteousness to everyone who believes. Believes. Okay, so we're back to faith. So faith in Messiah. Okay. Do not be haughty, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, He may not spare you either. Therefore, consider the goodness and severity of God. On those who fall, severity, but towards you, goodness. If you continue in His goodness, otherwise, you also will be cut off. And they also, if they do not continue in unbelief, will be grafted in, grafted in, grafted in, gentle and you alike. For God is able to graft them in again. Okay, just. It doesn't say that God will just graft all of them in again. God is able to graft them in again. Just because he can, doesn't mean he will.
2: Okay,
1: for if you were cut out of the olive tree, which is wild by nature, and were grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, who are natural branches, be grafted into their own olive tree? Well, this is saying that, in actual fact, it should be very easy for a Jew to come to faith and live a life in Messiah because to them were committed the oracles of God. Do you want me to continue with this or do you want to go to?
0: I think we must conclude here. I think, yes. Okay. Obviously so obviously, there's
1: still much more that can be said about this,
0: but we have to So now to say. we want to keep our focus on on these main ideas that is explained in the book of Romans, because the gospel, the covenants, are very precisely um, defined in the book of Romans. We've got to understand, He's defining things. He's defining things for us and for all generations. Okay. So, the Israelites were seeking something. What were they seeking? What were they, did you guys keep up with this? What were they seeking? The law, the law of Righteousness. It's important that we understand that if we see Law of Righteousness, we, it's not just a term. You can't just use the word law randomly. Okay, so there's a law of righteousness. It says that through the ages the Israelites were seeking after it, but didn't attain it. Okay, But the Gentiles that was not seeking after it, they attained it. How? While we were still dead in our sins, He saved us by grace through faith. Now, faith becomes the key term. It says that He justifies the circumcised by faith, and He justifies the uncircumcised through faith. Faith becomes the key word. Now, we've known that faith is the key word, but for some reason, some strange reason, faith remains undefined out in the world people will make faith whatever they want it to be. Yet faith is the key word when it comes to how God relates to people, how salvation works. Faith is the key word to attaining to the law of righteousness. Faith becomes the major issue whenever you do Bible study and faith is undefined in the Word. They, They prefer to keep it undefined. So if someone says to you, he's a believer, What does that mean? It has to be the faith of Abraham.
2: It has
0: to be the faith of Abraham. And next week we're going to see, because now in chapter 4, he is bringing it to the fact that it has to be the faith of Abraham. Now, in chapter 11 of Hebrews, we know that defines what faith is. I'm quickly going to give a synopsis just of Abraham's faith. Okay, when we say the faith of Abraham, if he keeps bringing, he keeps bringing faith back to Abraham. Abraham, we've got to understand, God deposits faith inside of Abraham. He becomes the keeper of the faith, he becomes the lone man walking the earth. The only place on planet earth where faith can be found is in Abraham. It's a fragile situation.
1: High risk.
0: Imagine a world, Elijah, where no one has the knowledge of God. No, you don't have to imagine it. We (laughs) live in it. Imagine a world where no one has retained the knowledge of God's ways, the truth of who God is. No one carries faith the way that God deposited it in Abraham. There was a time when this was true. Only Abraham had faith. God had put faith in him. He's carrying it. He's walking literally through the wilderness on on a long journey toward God's fulfillment of promises and he's carrying it inside of him. He's going to... yes.
2: Isn't that a great weight or responsibility for that
0: man? It should be. And that's exactly the message. If we are going to claim to have faith, we should understand the weight and responsibility that goes with it. That's why we study the Word of God the way that we do. We don't just lightly come to conclusions. We understand why we understand things the way we understand them. Does it make sense? Okay, now. So now we've got to go, okay, so the, uh, the faith of Abraham, what does it mean? Okay, let's look at this. Every time they refer to the faith of Abraham, they refer to the fact that he believed God, promised him a son. Seems selfish, self-centered. The moment God talks to him and says, but I don't have a son yet. I don't, I'm childless. Looks like that's the main issue. I, I want a kid.
1: It looks like faith becomes a personal miracle.
0: It looks like it. Okay, the entire book of uh, Romans keeps coming back to this point. The entire book of Galatians, everywhere, it keeps coming back to the promise. The promise. So now let's look at the faith of Abraham. Firstly, he responds to God's voice. It's God who calls, the Bible says. He responds to God's voice. By responding in action, he goes. He goes. So he breaks off from his tree. He was also a wild olive tree. He was also a bronze from a wild olive tree. So he breaks, the tree's broken off. He has to be crafted into something. He goes. Okay, first step, goes. But that's not it. That's not it. Everybody thinks, oh, if God says, Abraham had faith because he was willing to go. No, that's not it. It's not all. The faith of Abraham. Faith of Abraham then becomes exactly... Look, if we understand the aspects of his faith, then we can mimic it. We can, we can do what he imitate did. It. We can imitate it. Okay, we can imitate it. A person that is willing to imitate the faith of Abraham will be blessed by God, loved by God. You can get a lot of things wrong, but if you stick to the faith of Abraham, God will give you favor. God will reveal Himself to you. He will reveal His word and His mysteries to you, if you're willing to walk the way Abraham walked. Right, now, when God's judgment is announced on Sodom and Gomorrah, what is is Abraham's faith Example to us. Because his entire life, from the moment God calls him to the last moment, his life is a ministry to us. Now listen to this, Elijah. When the issue of judgment came, he responded in a specific way. Righteousness. He says, wait, what if there's 50 righteous? Not 50 good. But the Gentiles attained the righteousness of faith. He knows that the people in Sodom and Gomorrah are not God's people, right?
1: He is God's people.
0: How does Abraham understand the righteousness of faith? How? How? Possibly how? He's saying, what if there's there's some righteous people? How could he ask this question? It's an unreasonable question to ask. No, he responds in faith. He's a representative of faith. We always... No matter what we're faced with, when it comes to to God's ways and God's judgments, we think righteousness. That's the only determining factor. Not how much I love my nephew or his family. It's not even mentioning his family that's living in Sodom. He said, what if there's a righteous person? So another aspect of uh, Abraham's faith. We know that his faith is tested by God asking him to bring his promised son as a sacrifice, and it says he receives Isaac back, as if from the dead, so his faith, his, his example of faith is resurrection, and what does God do, he preaches the entire gospel on the mountaintop, by saying that he brought his only begotten son, God gave his lamb, he gave himself a lamb, and he receives his son back from the, as if from the dead. Now, this is the most important thing. Faith. The culmination of Abraham as the picture and example of faith is this. Even when it... Can you read it for us? Yes. Listen to this. This is, this is actually what it's about. <laughs> this is what it's about for the body. For us today, this is it.
1: Okay. Elijah,
0: if you're going to serve God and you're going to serve God, you need to remember this part. This This is is what it's going to be about for you, for your generation. Yes. That's true.
1: Romans chapter 4, verse 19. And not being weak in faith, And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead since he was about a hundred years old and the deadness of Sarah's womb. He did not waver the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God and being fully convinced what he had promised, he was also able to perform and therefore it was accounted to him for righteousness.
0: So he believed, when all hope was lost, he continued to trust and believe God's promise. What was God's promise? The body. And the body had to come through a seed, and that seed had to be his child. So even when he was past, his body was past the age where it was already dead, he did not consider his own body the deadness of his own body. In our generation, you know what we take out of that is faith? We do not consider the deadness of the body. We walk and we live as if every one of God's promises will be fulfilled. And yes, we are living in the times when the body is past dead. It does not look like there can be birth from this. Yet God has promised a last generation and a harvest. God has promised that every knee will bow and God has promised that he will perfect his bride. God has promised. And we are living in a time when the body is past dead. It doesn't look like it can bear anything anymore. Do you know why God gives us a revelation of his word? Do you know why this little fellowship has favor with God? Because we live, we're walking the road of. Uh, faith that Abraham walked we're doing exactly the same thing against all evidence The Cape Town doesn't want the truth okay you can package it in any way you want they don't want it South Africans don't want true faith the righteousness of faith is not being sought by any But the Gentiles didn't seek it either. Yet God made sure that from his side he made it happen. And this is what we need to take out of the example of of Abraham. Only for those that can persevere in this. So what does it mean when the Bible says if they continue in faith? So yes, many say, but we are in faith. What does it mean continue in faith? Is it good works? No. When he called we left. Some of us. All of us here, we left. Broken off. From the very tree. What, may, what does it do to a branch when it's broken off? There's no root. Yeah, unless you craft it then you're dead. Okay, now we have to become cultivated. We've done that, we've been through that process. Some of us, even, we're even willing to sacrifice what we think our promises and our Isaacs. But that's not enough. If you continue in faith, it's those that will persevere to the end, no matter how dead the body looks. We will continue to minister and we'll continue to live in the right things. You know why people give up on righteousness? Because it doesn't seem worth it. You know why people give up on holiness? Because it doesn't. there seems to be no reward in it. Well, we, know, we we saved anyway, so why go through the trouble? Continuing in faith, whenever you see that in the Bible, it's this. We continue to the end like Abraham, even if it's past the age of 100. Because you never know. We don't want to give up before it was God's appointed time. So now you know what it means when it says for those who continue in faith. Bye-bye. Okay, to conclude. When it comes to the issue is Jews saved differently from Gentiles? Do they have any special favor or standing with God? Does He still love the Jews, the Israelites different from everybody else? There is no such thing. All have become uncircumcised. You cannot find a Jew. You are not a Jew. You might have been born to a bloodline. They still call themselves by that. But Jacob's gone. Those who are of faith has now continued in the promise of the seed. And to be able to do that, you have to die to anything that you were anyway. So the Jew were broken off and the Gentile were broken off. And then you grafted back in. So what does it boil down to? God's nation, God's people. There's no such thing as, if you grafted into the olive tree, there's no such thing as a German or a Russian or a Jew or whatever you were before. It doesn't matter. It's a non issue. The olive tree was the olive tree before Abraham, before they were called anything. And I was part of the olive tree when the dove brought the little twig of the olive tree to Noah, that was the promise, that was the sign God's salvation is sure so I'm hoping that will wherever we go with the gospel this bit of information is very important you are going to encounter people with all kinds of ideas you can actually refute it in less than three minutes it says that anybody that has broken the law has become uncircumcised. So let's not have that conversation. And the circumcision of the heart happens how? Passover. Any revelation that leads to you stepping into Passover be in the house, done and dusted. Then you just have to walk it out by faith. Okay, I'm hoping that sums it up clearly. So complicated teaching that has to bring us to a very simple answer, right? So the lump, that which we mixed together. And you removed the, the middle wall of separation. No, making one man out of the, two. the two. Okay? Yes, in
1: Ephesians,
0: chapter two. So the lump, very simple. Now just a quick thing, that I don't want us to skip over this because we'll probably not remember to do it again. If the first fruits are holy, then the lump is holy. How does it pertain to the days of the Israelites? In 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 uh, God's plan, in His ways, He only had to have one or two righteous first fruits, that made the lump holy. That's why they could have the day of atonement. It doesn't mean that all the Israelites were saved, but according to atonement. They remain separated unto the Lord because at least there was first fruits. If there was no first fruits, that is what happens when God divorces all of Israel. It's the same in our day. If the first fruits are holy, then the lump is early. Why is God still having mercy on the entire world? Because there's first fruits. So just because there's there's a few that are brought by the Holy Spirit as first fruit offering from from the branch. Might not look like much. But it only has to be first fruits. And he continues to have mercy on the entire planet. Does it make sense? The only way
2: that we can be
0: safe in house So you can't be grafted in you can't be, all of that is baptism. Exactly.
1: And we become a dwelling place of God in the spirit, so in the house.
0: So, Passover was a shadow of the gospel. That's all it was. That's all it is today. Again, that thing of um, does Joel quote Peter or Peter quote Joel? See, we explained this. On the day of Pentecost, Peter walks out on, and he quotes Joel. But Joel was looking forward to seeing Peter. Um, proclaiming something that Peter is looking forward that will be fulfilled in time, so Peter was actually prophesying about us, so unless we he 's only right if it happens has it has the whole Peter of Joel prophecy come to pass? No it says this is the day, but it started hasn 't been fulfilled okay, so do we get that? If, we, if it wasn't for God making sure His plan will come true, we have a role to play. If we didn't make it happen, then we actually could prove Peter and Joel wrong. It hasn't been fulfilled. Mm. Pentecost started. Does that make sense? Mm. We're seeing it unfolding. And so that's the same thing. That's what Passover is. Passover was, could only be possible if the Lamb had already died otherwise Passover, think about it this way because they use the blood on the doorposts and they eat the whole lamb the judgment passes over them the judgment passes over them if, if, if Yahushua the son of God has not died as the lamb yet could the Passover have any power at all not possible not possible, it couldn't have any power Okay. Amen.